You are listening to the Gear 30 Podcast, a community, you could even call it a support group, for people addicted to outdoor adventuring and all the gear that goes with it. There is no shame here. In spite of what your spouse or partner may say, we believe it's okay to own five tents, seven backpacks, and 18 jackets. Our slogan, inspired by the great explorer Sir Ranolf Fiennes, is, there is no such thing as bad weather, only inappropriate gear. So if you're an aspiring outdoor adventurer, a mountain guide, or anyone in between, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Gear 30 Podcast, where we talk about outdoor adventuring and all the gear that goes with it. It snowed today. I know, that's why I got the fire going. Yeah, how good. It like snowed a decent amount too. Yeah. And it's freezing cold outside. (laughs) It's freezing cold outside. So how how much snow did they get down here? A couple inches? A couple inches. We got like, I want to say two inches at my house on the bench. In uh, In Layton. Layton. Yeah. We got about four inches at my house. Oh, that's sho- shovelable. Yeah, no, I spent like forty-five minutes trying to clear off my driveway. This, uh, maybe not that much, half hour. Yeah, but you had, but you had to do it. I had to do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's it was good sweet. to hear. Yeah, it was nice and it was nice and fluffy because it's been it's chilly. It was fifteen degrees up there when I was shoveling, and it's supposed to be zero tonight. I have a pro tip for you, although um, I don't, you know, things can all, always change. I don't know how long you'll be in that house, but buy a big pine tree. Uh, <laughs> plant it right in the middle of the driveway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine is right off to the side. It takes care of half of the job. <laughs> my shovel is is so much less than my neighbors. Yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah, great. That's a good idea. Yeah, our our uh, house unfortunately is just surrounded by weeds, and weeds don't grow oh, that big. So yeah, um, yeah. And that'd be some pretty big weeds. Yeah, yeah. But it's gotten me thinking. Um, Chase, uh, Chase and I were talking just before we did this, and. Um, we were excited about the snow. He was checking um, the the webcams for Snow Basin and seeing how much snow they got. I think you said, what, seven inches? Yeah, right around seven, six to seven inches. Yeah, so that's pretty sweet. It's all about that base. But yep. <laughs> there you go. But it is early <laughs> in the season still. And we've got a love-hate relationship with storms early in the season because uh, they get us excited. It's always fun to see the snow. Like I had a hard time sleeping last night because I was just w- looking out the window watching the snow come down. Um, but when it's this early, you get a lot of freeze-thaw cycles and stuff, and you get a real weak layer right at the base of your snowpack, which makes the first part of the backcountry season sketchy. So the only way to avoid that would be if it stayed below freezing through end of the season through, through the end of the season well through and then multiple storms you know right. heat mm-hmm. up then storm and then storm because if it does heat up like we most of the people down here would like it to heat up before thanksgiving so it's in the 40s and 50s down here and you know then that's that's what melts that snow a little bit on the on the mountains and creates a loose uh weak layer down there at the base and then you start piling snowstorms on top of that weak layer it becomes a very interesting backcountry year all right yeah, and we really need to have about three or four feet on top of that weak layer before um, it, it becomes deep enough where we're not triggering Before that. it breaks away and buries everything. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we can either pray for a big rainstorm that just like takes all the snow out. Or, or a huge warm-up, that, but that would be a big warm-up because there's some pretty 
seven inches of snow. Yeah, it's snow basin. snow basin. I I bet they got about a. I would guess probably on that north side of Ben Loman, just above my house. I would bet probably eight to twelve inches. Yeah. And they already had six inches. That's um, unlikely to melt out, so that might yeah. be our base. So interesting. Sweet. All right. And the and the weather's supposed to warm up at the end of the week, back up into the fifties, and then freezing at night. So that's that's that cycle that we don't really want, but. But anyway, so we've been excited, and we've also been thinking about avalanches, which is what we want to talk about today. Avalanche, uh, avalanche safety, avalanche gear, that sort of thing. I think that's actually, those are probably two different podcasts, avalanche safety, uh, and then the gear that goes with that, because if we try to take them both on, we'll be here for a couple hours. Okay, so what's today's? <laughs> so let's talk, should we talk gear? Let's talk gear. All right. Gear. We like gear. Yeah. So while we're here, the Gear Gear Thirty podcast. podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we are all fairly avid, I would say, backcountry skiers and snowboarders, and um, we've all done done a decent amount of of touring. So um, we probably have our own systems dialed, and there's some gear that we all use that is absolutely necessary for everyone, and then there's some gear that's kind of our preferential stuff. So. Let's talk first about the gear that everybody needs. The basics. The basics. The big three. Yeah. yeah. For the safety yeah. bar, yeah. yeah. Totally. And, uh... <laughs> well, some would argue big four. Right. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> which we'll talk about. Yep. Um, maybe even... Well, no. You probably... W- I mean, that could be taken a couple of ways. You could throw an airbag pack into the big four. That's what I was four, thinking, yeah. Or you could throw an avalung into that big four. Yeah. But you probably aren't going to use both at the same time. No, maybe, but I, I hope not. Um, so the big three, four. Yeah, drum roll for big three. Big is three. Chase. Beacon, probe, and shovel. Did I pass? Nailed it. <laughs> I've been practicing that for a long time. So beacon, um, that's something that lights up at night, right? That you can Ex- see from far away. Exactly. Uh-huh. I mean. Yep. You could really just turn find my friends on your iPhone on and you should be just no, kidding. Don't, but don't, don't, don't do that. Is there a beacon app on your phone yet? Uh, I wonder if that would work. I like, feel like... Like you wouldn't need... Like you wouldn't have to have... It'd have to work without service, right? Yeah. But there's no... It's not like... It's you not radio pinpoint. It's, yeah, you can't... Okay, so probably is, that wouldn't work. As fine as you can. I thought can. about that the other day, actually. But a beacon is... Uh, it's a device that sends and receives... Was it radio transmit radio waves or yeah. um, <laughs> we, so you can find find your friends when they're buried? Well, I'm either gonna have to cut this part of the podcast out or not publish this because that's a multi million dollar idea you just had right there. Oh, the cell phone one? Yeah, to have oh. a beacon app. A beacon app. Yeah. Well figure that out. <laughs> it, listen, you don't have to cut this part out because everybody you can come up with all the it's ma- it's whoever does it. So if you well, pursue it and you do it and you do it right and it works, then you win. Because yeah. no one like it's yeah, credit. but we're not gonna do we're it. We're not gonna do it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, that, let's so be that's honest with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. That's good. <laughs> Courtesy of Brandon Long. But I don't know, like you said, because it maybe it operates on different waves, and it just wouldn't. wouldn't it's work. just not. Yeah, it's just yeah. not. I'm sure there's a way dialed enough. Yeah, they're well, probably. Yeah. Someone, hey, someone listening is like, I got it, I got it. I'm gonna figure. <laughs> I'm this already out. there. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, right now you do. You have to buy a separate device, and they're not cheap. Mm-mm. But you're trying to save your own life or the life of your your best friends. So mm-hmm. right. yeah, your writing partners and 
you buy those and there's different brands yep no there's there's tons you have the mammut Baravox, ortovox the peeps the bcas um, do they all talk to each other yeah. So they everybody do. in the group can have a different brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do now. Didn't and used to be the case okay. 20, 30 years ago. Some of them were on different frequencies. They all talk now. Yeah. Some are a little bit better than others and have they have their perks and whatever, but they all. But someone, I, was talk, I think it was helping someone in the store, and they, they were like, oh, I, they were making a decision between two beacons. And and basically, what you can when you say you can get by with with the lower level beacon, the cheaper beacon, what does that mean versus like an expensive pro level beacon? What are the differences? Oh, there's, I mean, it really is gonna depend company to company, but like for instance, the Ortovox Zoom and the Ortovox 3 Plus, um, one of the big differences is the 3 Plus can flag um, in a multi-burial situation, it can flag a person. So you find, you do your find search, you pinpoint someone, you flag that person, and now that beacon's gonna block out that signal and start looking for the next signal. With the zoom, it has a, a quote-unquote flag feature, but you have to know how to use your beacon a lot better um, for it to switch over to that next frequency. So just ease of use um, is gonna be like your a big thing. Range is one that you'll pay more for, and I actually, I learned this the other day, thought it was kind of interesting, is I think Ortovox, all of their beacons are 45 meters um, their search range and a lot of people think well I want the one that's 80 meters or 60 or whatever meters and the rep was talking like if you're not really really practiced with your beacon if you have an 80 meter beacon the second your beacon picks up that signal you start moving slower on that signal you start following that big flux ring um, into the beacon so it really cuts your search time it, it extends your search time because by the time you find that that signal you start moving a little bit slower if you're not super super trained because you're following that signal right so, so now you're searching for slower so if you, for if you catch it three quarters of a football field away and then you follow the flex line you may be walking 120 meters exactly by the time you get to the person if you're walking 120 meters slowly exactly whereas if you have sense. if you have a beacon that only has a 45 meter search range you're you're hurrying as fast as you can making your your laps, um, your switch backing along the slope, you catch it 45 meters away from the beacon. You're already closer to that person. So the argument would be, is it faster to spend, to do um, 45 degree turns and not know where the heck you're going or where your friend's at, or is it faster to catch them and then walk slower to them? Exactly. And it's like, it's kind of, if, if you know where the slide path is, if you know ex- about where they were, if you had visuals on them, it, it's like a, a debatable topic, you know? And I, I think that, if you can't afford uh, the more expensive beacon, don't be like bummed out or whatever about having a, a beacon that doesn't have as big a search range because it's really, I don't think it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. If you're really, really well practiced, you're going to be fine with either one. If you have a beacon that has a larger search range and you're well practiced, you know when you hit that flux line, you get that first reading, you don't slow down right there. You keep following that until you get really close and you start your fine search. Then you can, you know, you get out of your skis and you start searching more, a little bit slower. Um, so it, it really just comes into how practiced are you going to be with your beacon? When you and say practice, you can go to uh, beacon parks, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Snow Basin has one. Powder Mountain has one, Snow Basin has one. I'm sure a lot of the, I think Brighton has one. Is there one just in the Cottonwoods somewhere? Or no, they're just, they're just reminders sure. to turn your beacons on. I think they're just yeah. remind. I, I'm not totally sure. 
but I think I know some of the trailheads in the Cottonwoods, for example, has a little right at the sign has a beacon mm-hmm. check, so mm-hmm. you can you can check your beacon as you head out. I think I think really when it comes to beacons, the best beacon is one you know how to work. Right. Um, yeah. If you're practice, you can get the nicest beacon if you battery. don't know how to work. Yeah, with the full battery, and that also brings up the which is better, a uh, rechargeable battery or a, is it lithium is rechargeable, alkaline's not correct. Usually. Yeah. So, and we might have already talked about this on another podcast. But Good reminder, because I didn't know about this. Yeah, actually. like a lithium a lithium rechargeable battery is great because it reads. I mean, it gives you a full 100% power until it's done. And it just it's all of a sudden done. 99% full power, bam, it's dead. So you said it's great, but it's not great. No. It, it, you think it's it'd be great, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. a beacon reads out. You turn your beacon on. It's like, oh, sweet, I have 99% battery. Then all of a sudden you turn on the search mode, and it's gone. Well, Whereas an alkaline battery, it, it shows that your battery is actually dying. 50 60%, 50%. And then, you know, okay, my battery's there. My beacon's going to be dying. So... Even though lithium tends to work better in the cold, all that stuff, you're safer off, better off with an alkaline battery in your beacon. <coughs> so. There you go. Interesting. Beacons. Beacons can get complicated, it feels like, but they're very simple. Yeah. They they like really device. are. It's especially like turn, on, turn on, turn on. <laughs> search, yeah. don't search. <laughs> especially if you know how to use them. Like, yeah. But you get those... I don't know avalanche brains, whatever. Right, but you can probably you just watch a brain YouTube doing. video on like best search methods and all that kind of stuff. Um, what, and then I'm sure like there's directions in the whatever beacon you buy for. Yeah. Other mm-hmm. one, but it's yeah. pretty easy. Basic basic directions. I know. Um, you know, years ago when I was first getting into the backcountry, every every year before I'd go out, I'd go up a few times and I'd practice doing beacon searches, even just on the dry ground. And um, after a while, I got a bit lax because never had never had avalanches. I felt completely confident in my search methods and stuff. And then a couple of years ago, I did a an avalanche course, and um, I had done courses before, but it had been years. And so I did a an avalanche course with my wife, and we did some searching. And I was surprised how rusty I was and how much slower I was than I was expecting because mm. it wasn't muscle memory. It wasn't just like second nature anymore because uh, I hadn't done it much. I had gone up with my wife like once the year before and then once the year before that, but hadn't done it much. And so I really had to think about what I was doing and I was much slower than I thought I would be. And that was just a big kind of eye-opening wake-up call to get out and practice a lot regularly because as soon as someone gets caught and their life depends on it that's not the time to realize man i should have been practicing more and yeah uh, and you can come up with systems too like i mean just do i take my gloves off do i leave them on do i when what do i take out of my bag first how do i like because when something happens it's going to be panic mode right but if you have a system down and you can access your bag fast and you know what to, you know, you, you get the beacon out, you know what to pull out first. You're, once you find find a person, how to get the probe out and deploy your probe. We'll talk about the probe. Um, even that, like, I, you, know, you got to practice your probe. You got to practice your shovel techniques. Right. I mean, it's crazy. So I was in. I've never had to actually use it, but I just, I couldn't imagine in real time trying to find your, your friend. You're trying to save their life. Like, that's a pretty scary ordeal. Right. Um, years ago, at the outdoor retailer show, and it was in Salt Lake, 
they would do a snow demo, an on-snow demo up at Brighton. Was that Brighton? I think so. Uh, uh, no. Um, Sun- Solitude. Solitude, yeah. that's right. Um, so we'd go up to Solitude, and one year they had uh, kind of an avalanche demo thing, and there were a bunch of companies that had their, their beacons and their shovels and probes and stuff out that you could test. And they had a competition between brands, um, companies that uh, I think there was, I'm trying to remember, I think there was a team from Peeps or Black Diamond, which owns Peeps. There was a team from Backcountry Access. There was a team from MSR. There were a few other teams up there all competing to dig out a log under about five feet of snow and pull that log out. And I was uh, asked to help out with the MSR team and because they were just launching their new shovels and probes and their new backcountry um, safety gear, avalanche gear. They don't have beacons, right? They don't yeah. have beacons, no. But they, they were launching the shovels, probes, their saws, those types of things. And they all looked really, really great. And um, what was interesting is we all... Um, there were some people that were like avalanche... Avid backcountry people, avalanche professionals and stuff. And there were other people that were doing it for the first time. And then there was our team that was kind of a combination. And what was interesting is those avalanche professionals dug that log out in about half the time of everybody else because they knew how to dig mm-hmm. and they just had the technique they they worked really well as a team and they dug that log out fast and we were we were kind of middle of the group um, one of the guys that was on our team was an arctic explorer um, one of the like the greatest arctic explorers of our time um, he hiked up to the North Pole. He's done stuff in the South Pole, across Greenland and stuff. Um, I can see his face right now. <laughs> that helps. Uh, let's see. I'm just curious. Is it Larson? Larchven? Larchven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of his... Sven? Sven. Uh, last name is Larson for some reason I was thinking. Oh, man. I should know. I... I can see his face. Anyway, I'll look it up and I'll... But, um, so we were... So he was very, very educated in Arctic travel, Antarctic travel, like extreme condition stuff, but not necessarily avalanche stuff. Mm -hmm. He was also very fit. So he could just dig, 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 but he's never had to dig out a body like Mm -hmm. that. And so he didn't necessarily have the digging a person out technique but he was one of the best strongest people on the team because he was fit and and uh that sort of thing then there were um um what's his name i I think his name is eric is it eric larson that sound was he really on your i think i think that sounds familiar Arctic Explorer, just search Arctic Explorer Extraordinaire. Is that what you're... Um, Clean this part up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Eric Larson. Eric Larson, okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, that's a big name, right? Yeah, he's a big, big name. He was a nice, really nice dude, too. Um, Anyway, and then we had some other guys that were just, that were product designers from MSR, and then there was myself, and we, we... 
went nuts on those using those shovels and probes and stuff and we actually they were still kind of in their prototyping stage but they they were going to be releasing their shovels and stuff we ended up bending one of their shovels we bent it up pretty good and they were pretty thrilled about it, which was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, they were excited. The about engineers it. on hand. Yeah, the engineers they, yeah. were like, "Whoa, like this is awesome!" Like we just, we, and the thing is, is it wasn't destroyed. It was still usable, but it was, it was bent up quite a bit, because we were digging through rocks. We were prying through like logs. There was a whole bunch of debris in the pile of snow mm. on top of that log. It wasn't just snow. It was snow, ice, rocks, everything that we had to pry through and we kind of did a number on that shovel and they they were excited they took it back reinforced the shovel made it stronger and then came out with their shovel so, so when you're traveling with friends because i have i have two i've got an order box with teeth it's a heavy duty big shovel and i've got a lighter weight black diamond one with no teeth but like a sharper point on it so if you are in my group that day you're probably going to want me to carry the one with teeth <laughs> it's a bigger has a bigger spade so that i can unbury you faster but exactly. uh, when you're shopping for shovels a lot of people are just looking for something lightweight because they don't think assume they're never going to have to use it right um but but you might want you might want the heavy duty one should it be a good you know close loved one of yours so or anyone really but it's it, it should you but should you run into debris like that that's that's something i would have thought of yeah the one thing that was interesting to me i carry a pretty small shovel um I, I carry the smallest black diamond shovel they make that has the curved handle that pops out what mm -hmm. do they call that the de deploy deploy three. three i think and um i really like it i actually dig faster uh with that than i did with my bigger shovels of the past not because a smaller shovel is faster it's not but my technique is better now than it used to be and that's the biggest thing is when you're digging someone out of the snow, and this is maybe part of the conversation that should come on the next avalanche episode that we do, but when you're digging someone out of the snow, most people think they're buried under the snow, you dig down to them. But you actually need to get down below them or level with them and dig into the mountainside into them. And you use gravity to help you. And instead of dig in and prying out shovels full of snow you cut blocks and then you pull the blocks down the hill and they just fall down the hill behind you and in that way you can dig into them pretty quickly you can cover, you can move a lot of snow very fast that way and that was what those avalanche professionals knew that some of the rest of us weren't as good at now i knew that to some extent but i hadn't practiced with a group like they had and um we we were pretty fast. We our guy probably would have survived, but well, they're like a good pit crew, you know. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna yeah. move the tires and do you know do the thing really. Fast. They have it down to a science, and so which is inter interesting because typically when we go out, it you might be with a different group, multiple time, different mix of people, almost every time you go out, depending, and you might have two or three that are the same, but then you're always mixing somebody new in the group or something in and out, and. uh it could it could matter if you're not all on the same page yeah and i have a buddy who now i look at avalanches and it, avalanches are kind of this um kind of almost a philosophical thing for me because i've never i've never personally seen an avalanche or not anything big that would that would kill someone or being caught in an avalanche and so all of my avalanche experience is just all practicing for when it does happen but it's all kind of 
hypothetical to me. But I had a buddy who was skiing in the Cottonwoods, and he actually had to recover someone who was buried under the snow completely. He dug them out. They were still alive and lived, but wouldn't have lived if he and his buddies weren't really well practiced. So that was kind of kind of cool, but also scary. I've also had a, a couple of other buddies who got caught. There were 12 people on a skiing trip in British Columbia. They all got caught and buried. Um, no, not all of them were buried. So they who got, unburies? They all, they, they all got caught. They had guides. They had backcountry oh. guides. Um, they all got caught and carried, but only some of them got buried. Everybody survived, but there were a couple that were uh, hospitalized. Um, they were, you know, they were um, really praising their guides, talking about how good they were as far as uh, the guides got everybody recovered and stuff. And, and that's great. But they should Probably all twelve of them shouldn't have been skiing on that slope at the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's that was pretty that wasn't very good on the guides side. But they had checked the snow and the snow seemed stable, or so they thought, but it was they had just gotten a bunch of new snow and I think a guide a really well experienced guide with a little bit of discipline would have not let everybody ski at the same time. But they were party skiing this hillside and they all got carried. So that's kind of scary. So it does happen. Yeah. Um, so what's the, going back to shovels, what's like some of the differences in the shovels? So the kind of the, well, I mean, there are, back in the day they used to have like polycarbonate shovels and they were lightweight and cheaper and stuff like that. They don't really do those much anymore because they aren't strong enough. They're not that good at chopping through ice and snow and that and prying stuff, and so you don't, you really don't want a plastic shovel in any form. Um, there's unless you're schemo racing, right? <laughs> yeah, and then um, there is, you know, size differences. There's strength differences. Um, some of the areas where shovels can fail, um, and most of the shovels I see on the market are pretty solid and pretty strong now and pretty good enough, but like G3 came out with a shovel, their original shovel back in like 2000, probably three or 2004, and they came out with that. That was a big thing because they took the neck off of the, the shovel head. They like... Um, they integrated the neck into the actual blade of the shovel because what they found in their testing is that was an area that that was the area that failed most was the neck that was the weak point of the shovel and so they cut that neck off and they integrated it into the actual blade of the shovel and so they did they did some pry tests theirs versus other companies and theirs was like three times stronger or something like that so that was interesting to me um there's um you know Brooks Range, who's now a, a defunct company. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. They they had some good shovels. They had shovels. They had a lot of Avi stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Because I think first go, go to the apparel. But they had science kits and, yeah. mm -hmm. and equipment that um, we sold a lot of in the shop. And that's too bad because now we can't. Right. I don't know if anyone's going to fill that space. Have you seen anyone fill that yet? Those little kits were great. We were just talking about that the other day, really? actually. Who, who's going to fill the space? Or there's already companies that do make snow science stuff. So, I'm just not as familiar with them. Mm. Yeah. 
Um, so Brooks Strange used to make shovels, some that were just traditional shovels, some that had the little shark teeth on the bottom. And um, I kind of felt that that was more of a gimmick. Um, I don't know that those shark teeth made a huge difference in cutting through snow. Maybe it maybe it did a little bit. I don't know. They cut through your, your bag. They do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they shred bags. And that, and that was my big complaint is like, well... I'm not sure it makes me much faster digging in the snow, but it sure makes it more expensive to own because <laughs> I have to replace a bag more often if I if I lose that little plastic yeah the cap protector cap thing. Um, so there's some of those things. I'm trying to think. Uh, Ortovox makes um, a shovel that you can use the handle as to turn it into a hoe for digging, helping you dig trenches, um, snow caves, some of those types of things. Um, trying to think some of the other what are some of the other uh, features of shovel that's kind of I mean and one of the Ortovox ones you can put like a, a quote unquote ice pick in it the handle pick they call oh, it oh right so if you need to to self rescue at some point you can jab that into the ground not rated to climb on or anything but right just as yeah so there's steep slope or something yeah there's i mean lots of companies have various different things that they put on accessories but shovels are shovels um well but you found something interesting on the internet last night chase uh some skins that were (laughs) to be determined on the age but but it reminds it's a reminder that a lot of times we shop online discount like places for gear um and so if you're looking for backcountry stuff that's used or old or online someone might put up like like a schemo shovel and say backcountry shovel 50 bucks or whatever you're like oh cool i got a new shovel but there's differences between what that ski mountaineering Mm -hmm. lightweight ski mountaineering that's like basically you just have in case of emergency because it's mandatory race gear versus something you're going to need uh on your your daily or daily your 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 skin tours in the morning with your friends yeah i mean there's definitely shovels that are better than others um and there's more reputable reputable brands than others but i think in a general sense know how your shovel collapses and assembles quickly and be comfortable with how it works i would err on the larger side than the smaller i have a teeny shovel right now and it's great but i always think if an avalanche breaks it's going to take me twice as long to move snow than (laughs) ski with chase (laughs) Chase. (laughs) and i love it it's really lightweight it's a mammoth got it like two years ago great shovel but yeah it's not very big no it's you know, though, remember, it's less about size and more about how you use it. That's that's what that's I've true. heard. And that's, that's true. But if you're not practiced with it, then you've got some problems. So you got to practice with a shovel. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I, yeah, definitely know how to use it. Know the c- proper techniques of using your shovel. And then the probes, which I did also see. I remember now talking to this, this customer about he was very concerned uh about which probe to get so is this a big can you make a mistake on the probe that you buy you know you you kind of can um so some some probes are are longer some are shorter some are made of carbon fiber some have thicker diameters some are thinner diameters some are small and will fit inside your shovel 
like there's some companies out there that'll make a probe that fits inside your shovel handle and stuff for a more compact thing, which is an asinine idea in my opinion. But um, so deployment matters. Yeah. And how, and how it's deployed. And yeah, trying to. Yeah, also how it. Yeah, how it deploys. Um, how. Uh, how tight it is once it's deployed and locked into place. How tight because if you've got a show a probe that's not super tight it'll deflect more when you put it down in the snow if you've got a person that's eight feet down and you've got a flexi probe and you push it down in the snow it can deflect off like three feet in the wrong direction and you think mm. you're probing straight down where the guy is but it deflects and misses him and you don't know where the guy is even though he's right below you and so it does yeah, that's bad it does matter yeah. yeah and so getting a cheap probe getting a probe that's too narrow and nobody flexi, wants a cheap probe right yeah no no <laughs> No. And, you know, in, when it comes to probes, size, size probably does matter a little bit. So that, because that, it can go deeper into the snowpack to find your buried person. Right. Or yeah. the thicker diameter for the size mm -hmm. deflects less, probably, mm -hmm. usually. Carbon fiber probes are often a little bit stiffer than, like, an aluminum probe, so that's not a bad thing. They're also lighter weight. They're a lot more expensive, <laughs> but... Mm -hmm. um, so some of those types of things matter. I mean, your aluminum probes, those are going to be your work, work, work horses. Um, they'll probably handle more abuse than like a carbon fiber probe might. But um, having a stiffer, maybe longer, thicker probe, that's a that's a good thing. So who's some of the some of the reputable brands out there making probes? Uh, or shopping. Or the Vox and Black Diamond, Volet. G3, BCA, Mammut does. So I, I don't want to talk. I love Mammut. I love the Berry Vox, like a lot of their stuff. Their probes, probably my least favorite probe out of all the ones on the market that I've used so far, just with how it tightens and how it loosens. I don't love the interface of how it breaks down and how it, again, it's, if you know how to use it really well, I think it could be great. But from all the ones I've used, there's last year was like, huh. I don't love this thing. Not my yeah, favorite. That's, that's definitely something you need to, to do. You can do it at home in your driveway. It's just deploy the, deploy the probe mm -hmm. but over I mean, and over again until you're really fast at it. Exactly. Lots of companies make really great ones. I just think the simplest your probe can be the best because when you're in that situation, you need to be acting on a dime. If you're sitting there like, okay, how does this work? Like, that's not a good probe. You know, yeah, so. try deploying a probe with your gloves on, mm -hmm. seeing which one's easiest with gloves on. Because, yeah. I mean, I personally like to be able to do every part of the search with my gloves on, That's if a good possible. Point because you you would like to think it's going to be some like nice, you know, sunny non-storm <laughs> day when an accident occurs that you can just take your gloves off and be warm and go through the motion. But it's probably going to be like the worst potential weather out there <laughs> right, right cold and snowing or windy or whatever and you're trying to find somebody it just adds to the stress you know what though i just it reminds me this practicing idea like i've let people borrow gear yeah uh, i let somebody borrow my split board and my pack with all the gear in it and they've never practiced with it i showed them how to use my beacon I don't know who that is. Well, and and a snowmobiler's friend, a neighbor of mine too. You know, so that this and I'm and that just got me thinking. Like, oh my gosh, that's they've never deployed the probe. That they've never, you know, de, 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 besides me turning on the beacon for them, they've never <laughs> actually used the beacon and done a search for. That's probably really bad. 
I'm yeah. wondering if I should even loan gear out anymore. You know what I mean? Like, not that I would be culpable, but it merely makes me think twice now because they've never practiced with it. Right. Now, I when I go out with newbies, um, which I do pretty regularly, I usually keep it on pretty mellow terrain because I feel like, well, if they get caught, I feel pretty good about my chances of finding them and hopefully, you know, a, a decent percentage of people that get buried die in the actual, from the trauma mm -hmm. of the burial. Um, but of those people, it's like, well, I feel fairly confident that if something happened, I could find them and dig them out within 10 minutes or so. Um, I think eight minutes is kind of the, the kind of the sweet threshold, spot. the sweet spot, eight minutes or less. Well, that's an oxygen issue. Yeah. Um, and actually... I'm trying to remember. 15 minutes might be when that curve really drops yeah. off. Is it 15 minutes? Yeah, it's 15. Um, so anyway, the uh, I so I'm out there with newer people who don't have a lot of experience finding, and I just kind of know, like, I better not get caught because if you I don't do, want looking for they're you. not finding me. <laughs> yeah. And that's a really probably a. a irresponsible way of going about things not probably it definitely is um but usually if i'm with new people we just stay off the avalanche terrain yeah. we we keep it on less than 30 degree slopes and um or only ski when the conditions are are bomber um with new people i just don't even go on 35 degree slopes or or more it just we just stay away and then if i'm with people who are pretty experienced then we'll ski that stuff all day all day but um, so beacon, shovel, probe. Yep. There and, you have it. And uh, we should probably, let's, I know we got to wrap this up. On one of these next episodes, we need to talk in more detail about beacons because beacons have a lot of features. There's a lot of brands out there. There's a lot of confusion about what makes a good beacon and what doesn't. And it's really a pretty simple conversation. It can be a simple conversation, but it's something that we should probably touch on. Again, so that'll we'll do that in a in a future episode. Cool. So, those are your three absolutely essential pieces to backcountry skiing. We also need to talk in the, in a future episode about airbag packs and avalons. Avalons, yeah, not essential. Great to have, but, but not essential. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for the podcast today. If you liked what you heard, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Also, leave us a nice review five star um and then and so other people can find the podcast easier um you can find us on facebook at gear colon three zero uh like us and uh find us online at gear 30.com g-e-a-r-t-h-i-r-t-y.com gear 30 you should be able to find us. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. and then um like uh follow us on instagram at at gear underscore three zero thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode see you out there Woo.